James here on Sunday mornings, and uh, we're going through, we're learning how to be apprentices of Jesus. We believe that's what a large arc throughout James is. That's why you see this here in, you know, in front of me. Um, how many of you over the last few weeks have been trying to um, rearrange the letters and spell other things during the messages? Anybody? No? Yeah. Anyone trying to figure out what score you could get with this word? Um, I, um, I thought we should do a series. The first in the series should be maybe app, and then we could do rent and then ice or something like that, but that might be a little bit confusing. Um, how many of you are tired of the good weather we're having? Anybody? On, it depends if you were doing work on Saturday, I think, because on Saturday, if it was finally your first free day to be outside and working on your various projects in your house, you were out there working hard and thinking, what? It was, when it was cold, I could just sit inside and say, ah, can't do it today. Um, as, uh, as we're learning to be apprentices of James, we've been studying through. We've been through chapter 1, 2, and the first part of uh, chapter 3. Um, but we're going to start with the second half of chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to pull out a Bible or the ones that are here in the seats in front of you, you're welcome to do that. If you don't have a Bible at home, this, the Bibles that are available here, that's our gift to you. You can take that and uh, um, you can start reading that at home as well or rereading the things that we teach on Sunday mornings. Um, uh, the first part of chapter 3, um, last week, uh, Steve was teaching about um, the power of the tongue, that the tongue is a very powerful thing, um, that we can do damage by the things that we say, or the ways that we communicate, even if that might be online or through gestures, um, but that, and that ultimately the tongue is uncontrollable. But there is hope we can have a change of heart. The, what comes out of, um, from our tongue comes from up from out of our uh, heart. If we have a heart change, what we say will begin to change. If we change the source, then we will begin to speak words of life and hope um, to people, our friends, family, um, neighbors, and so on. Anyways, if you'd like to get caught up on James, we have a podcast. You can go through iTunes, or you can find it through our website, and you can catch up on all the teaching if you have to be away for work or other family reasons. Um, stay engaged with our teaching. We'd really encourage you to do that, and then you get the whole experience. Anyways, here we are in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. It should be on the screen up here and behind me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from um, heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James was very familiar with um, early writings in uh, Israel's history, Proverbs, you know, the wisdom literature, and so his book sometimes is much like that. Uh, it's not kind of a systematic approach to uh, any particular topic, but it is more like those very potent from concentrate kinds of phrases. But rather than adding water, we need to add time and meditation to his words. So we're going to 
kind of slow down and go verse by verse and highlight a number of words as we repeat through this, this section of the Bible. Wisdom must be shown. So again, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. This is very similar to the earlier part where uh, we talked about faith and deeds. Again, good deeds are evidence of faith. The good deeds are not the means by which we take hold of salvation. Rather, through faith, the salvation of Jesus, it takes hold of us. And that life-changing experience produces good deeds. Faith without works is dead. In this section, we see something similar. Wisdom, for a brief definition perhaps of wisdom, is um, it's the ability to see the complex relationships between all things. If knowledge is a sword, wisdom is being an expert swordsman. Wisdom without good deeds is a fool. Wisdom must be shown. Now, I've never had a personal trainer, but if I did, some of you weren't shocked, um, if, if I did hire a personal trainer, I would want them to have abs. Do you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want um, a personal trainer who coached me kind of from a couch in the corner while watching a little bit of Netflix, eating some chips, and, and just kind of calling out what my next thing was. You know, do another rep, whatever. I would want them to have abs. If they couldn't demonstrate for me a sit-up, or if they wheezed when they did have to come and greet me, just walking a few steps, they wouldn't get the job. They might have a degree in kinesiology, but I wouldn't hire them. See, I want them to have abs because then I know that they have learned to apply what they know to their way of life. Uh, wisdom uh, is, is the same. It needs to be applied. Wisdom leads to humility, which leads to good deeds, which leads to a good life. I'll say more about that in a minute, so let's skip down to verse 14, if you still have your Bible in front of you. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Envy. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing brought on by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Uh, the Bible has lots to say about envy. Here's a few things. Ecclesiastes 4, uh, verse 4, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I have high hopes for my children. Um, sometimes I marvel at their intelligence or their skill, their abilities, their unique personality, and I think, wow, if we can get that all pointed in the right direction, what could they possibly achieve? And I think very highly of what that could be. And I read a verse like this and I think, oh, achievement, that is the wrong aim. If it grows out of envy. 
Some of you might be familiar with the Ten Commandments. If you're, if you're not familiar with uh, church, likely you've bumped into a few of those uh, before. Perhaps misquoted, but you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. You can find those in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, which you can read for homework. Um, but of the Ten Commandments, 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10, all have the roots in envy. Number one, I want to be God. Number three, I want my own time. Number five, I want their life ended. Six, I want that person physically. Seven, I want that thing, but at no cost to me. Nine, I want that relationship. Ten, I want my neighbor's stuff or life. All of those things are envy. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy can actually cause you physical harm. Now, envy can sneak up on anyone. It can start out infinitesimal. It can be very small, but it can lead to total destruction. Idolatry is a word that the Bible uses to talk about things that we love more than God. When we love something too much, it can actually be a problem. It's because we're not loving God enough. And if you take a moment to think about what you think right now will make you the most happy, chances are it will reveal something of envy. For example, every five-year-old is envious of a six-year-old. That's just the way that it is. You know, anybody who's in the children's areas on a regular basis, or if you have children at home, you know that just one category down in age means you're envious of the next age because they see all of the perks that seem to come with being a little bit older, but they don't see any of the downside of having a little more responsibility. And that continues. You think, well, maybe when I'm in high school, then I'll be really happy. Or maybe when I'm done high school, then it will really be happening. Or maybe when I hit college, maybe when I'm done college, maybe when I finally have a real job, maybe when I finally find that person. Maybe it's, maybe it's having kids. Maybe it's finally having your own house. Maybe it's having your kids move out. Maybe it's finally getting rid of your house. <laughs> it's always the next thing, the next stage that you're wishing you had and not being content in what you do have. And so the young envy those who are a little bit further on. But something switches. I'm not sure exactly where it switches, but then suddenly the old envy the young. And they say, boy, what I would do if I had that kind of time and energy or health. And envy is this idolatry that can show up in so many different kinds of ways. And time multiplies each decision we make. It also multiplies sin. When you are envious of something, when you are chasing after something, uh, your whole life it becomes worse and worse. So something that starts out very small can become terrible in the long run. Is it wrong to want good things? No. But it takes the wisdom of heaven to know what a good thing really is. So we need to allow the wisdom of heaven to show us what is good. Earlier in James uh, 1.17, we're reminded of that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Selfish ambition. Most people are selfish. That's core to sinful people something that we all need help overcoming. But selfish ambition is perhaps another thing. 
It's a supercharged selfishness. That's where narcissism comes from. A selfish ambition in any area of life will bring destruction. Whether the ambition is in business, or even if it's in family, pursuit of pleasure, celebrity, fame, selfish ambition is also an enslaving idol like envy. We've said it before, Jesus is the only master who doesn't enslave. Anytime you have one of these other idols, eventually it will take over you. And it will lead you to any kind of evil practice. We're encouraged in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. When he mentions these two things, he uses an interesting word. He says, uh, but if you harbor uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition, a harbor is a safe place and a hospitable place along a coastline for a ship to find refuge from the sea. Envy and selfishness, they sneak up on you. But it's different when you decide to make room for them to be there. When you say, it's okay. I deserve it. It's my right to have it. No one's going to stop me. I need some me time. And suddenly you're headed down a different pathway. It seems to multiply its effect in your life when you harbor, when you make it safe, when you say it's okay. A little bit of envy is okay. Boasting and denying. James says, don't boast about it. Don't deny the truth. Boasting and denying are different. But they're both alterations of the truth. One is amplifying reality and one is minimizing it. You are lying to yourself or you're lying to others. Either way, it's no longer the truth. Almost every plot line I can think of lately in shows, movies, whatever, is about a secret or about a lie or everything seems like it's working out but there is this lie that somebody hangs on to, somebody um, tells a lie, they keep a secret, whatever it is, trying to make things better and it always becomes worse. It makes for great entertainment. But it becomes tiresome in real life. More than tiresome, it becomes overwhelming. Eventually, something like that, when you are living in a lie, it becomes a trap. Um, the enemy moves in. You can be pinned down because of a lie. You can become... Um, incapacitated, completely ineffective in doing something in life because you're believing a lie. It will crush you or it will crush somebody else. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, when you're not starting from the truth, the nature of all things, the simple elements of the gospel, that God created all things, substance, matter, time, the world, humankind, that we are sinful, though he intended us for um, eternal joy, we are in eternal death without him, that there was the cross. If we're not starting from the truth that comes down from heaven, we're starting here. Uh, earthly wisdom. 
whatever you can come up with down here, whatever you can think of yourself or hear from somebody else. There are many brilliant minds, but oftentimes the brilliant minds are either filled with awe and wonder at what God has done and made, or they are in despair. They are stuck somehow without meaning and purpose. Sometimes young people become disenchanted with the faith of their parents. They want to explore other options. They don't know if it's their own faith yet. And so they go out and try to find what else it might be. And for a time, they often find just pleasure because there isn't certain traditions or certain rules. There isn't the same moral code. They're figuring things out on their own. And it takes a lot to figure out what you actually have if you take God out of the equation. It's despair. It's hell. Many people, as they look for something else outside of God, really, truly only find despair. Now, maybe you've walked away from your faith. Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you've never put your faith in God. You've never had an encounter with him. On your own, in some ways, you're lost in a sea of ideas that all lead to despair. But there is hope. Some of you don't want to ask critical questions. Or maybe you ask critical questions as a way to push away, you know, people with faith. Maybe it's, you know, family or friends and they keep poking you with faith ideas. And you either say, I'm too intelligent to believe in all of that, which is really a pride issue, I think, because you haven't actually found answers. You haven't gone searching for those things. If you instead uh, humble yourself to actually ask those serious questions in life, and have the courage to pursue them to an answer, I believe you will find um, hope. Okay, unspiritual. One of my favorite um, C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis quotes, I think about it when I'm exercising, uh, because again, exercise becomes uncomfortable, and I think to myself, I just wanna, again, give up and go and sit on the couch with my personal trainer, and just binge watch some Netflix or something, because it gets uncomfortable and I don't wanna do it, and so I have to, th- concentrate, I have to focus, I have to motivate myself somehow, and I think of this quote. Um, You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And I'm reminded of Paul's words, that he, he, uh, he beats his own body, he sets a blow to his own body, makes it his slave so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that repositioning um is helpful for me when I'm exercising. But if you are a soul, some of you didn't flinch at that idea of being unspiritual. You think, well, there's lots of unspiritual things that I do. When I'm mowing my lawn, it doesn't feel spiritual. Um, But if you are a soul, and instead you think you were just a body, um, you won't be feeding your soul, taking care of your soul. If you're filling your life with the unspiritual, very likely your soul is dying. How many of you get grumpy when you're hungry? Anybody out there grumpy when you're hungry? Hits a certain point, and whether you're aware of it, everyone else becomes aware of it right away, that you're now hungry. Or perhaps maybe it's not just, um, or maybe, maybe it's tired. How many of you, there's a certain time on the clock, you hit that time, and now you're grumpy. How many of you are grumpy all the time? Just no, no matter what the circumstances. 
um, if, again, if something like not having enough food or not having enough sleep is enough to set you off, think about if you don't care for your soul and if you're just being a body, if you're just sleeping and eating and just being a body, just um, think about how, um, what kind of a state your soul might be in. Um, my wife and I had a, a plant right after we got uh, married, we moved from one apartment to an, another, and we took in, it was an aloe vera plant, so again, it's a plant that most people can't kill very easily. Um, it's very forgiving. So we, we took our plant in, and we were just moving in, we took it in, we set up on the windowsill where it would get lots of light. It was a basement apartment, so we had to get it right in the sunlight where it was going to get light. Then we set up our whole house, and uh, we put curtains up. And then, about nine months later, no, maybe it was when we were moving out, about a year later, my wife said to me, our plant is dead, at which to, and I replied, what plant? <laughs> because it had been entirely forgotten about it. We put the curtains up, the plant was back there, and it hadn't been watered the whole time. But because I knew it was an aloe plant, that it was, again, very forgiving, we started to water it again. It was, it was black. Like it, was, it looked like it was just entirely burnt. But we watered it and watered it and watered it, and, and then about you know, the last two weeks that we were there, uh, in, uh, in uh, that apartment in, uh, out in Ontario before we moved uh, here to Musha, it came back to life. It started to grow again. It was amazing. And then we forgot it in Ontario. <laughs> it's still in the windowsill there, probably behind a curtain. Um, if your soul is in that kind of condition, there is hope. You can begin to water and it will come back to life. There can be a miracle that can happen in your soul. But also, again, I'm not very good with plants. I have a lawn in my backyard that is uh, terrible. It has been terrible since, I mean, there's lots of trees and shade, which is nice, but the trees uh, take all the water. And so uh, every, uh, we, we planted, you know, reseeded, uh, you know, up came this lawn. But then in the fall, or in the uh, spring, when everyone else's lawn is starting to look green again, ours is uh, this yellow dust and uh, it's barely there, and we water, and we water, and we try to take care of it, just like the, our aloe plant, and eventually it starts to kind of come back. But last year, right around that time, we invited uh, some family over, and the family came um, with their dogs. We have a dog also now, but we, we invited them over. They came over with their dogs, and they were out in the backyard having a blast, and they tore the little you know, feeble yellow dust grass to nothing. It was ripped apart. The other thing James says is not only that it's earthly, that it's unspiritual, but it's demonic. If you're in that kind of place, if you believe you're only a body and not a soul, if you don't take care of your soul, if you don't feed it with the word of God, with his presence, those kinds of things, your lawn might look like my lawn, but it might not stay that way. You may be open to the dogs coming in and wreaking havoc in your life. Okay, verse 16, let's continue. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. There's two life paths, two ways of life that are described. One that starts with earthly wisdom and ends in every kind of evil. Um, one that starts in heavenly wisdom and ends in righteous living and a rich harvest. So we've seen what earthly wisdom looks like. Let's begin to look at what heavenly wisdom looks like. Um, first off, 
let's just back up to verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Um, some might read good life and think moral life, right? You're doing the right things. Um, but again, here's a, 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 where Greek has more words for the one English word that we use, kind of like love, how we say we love many different kinds of things, whereas Greek has different categories for different things in love. That brings clarification to what um, uh, their person is really trying to say. Here, there is a word for good life, doing the right things, living a moral life, but that's not the word that's used. Instead, it's, it's the word that's kind of opposite of ugliness. It is beauty. Wisdom brings a beautiful life. Uh, and even there's an example of this. Uh, Exodus 31, chapter 31. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen um, Bezalel, son of Uri, uh, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God and with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make and artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. Um, this was the tabernacle being formed, and it was a huge undertaking. It was a huge art piece that was commissioned by God, and it was a pattern of something that came from heaven, and what he gives the craftsman, the artist, is wisdom. Again, we said that kind of the definition of wisdom is the ability to pull together everything, right? Understanding the complex relationships between all things, even materials, people, and beyond. So when you have art, it is pulling together different kinds of things. When it's music, it's putting together the right kinds of notes to bring out the harmony. It's beautiful life. That's what wisdom produces. In verse 17, we see this description. Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Pure, nothing added. It is genuine, it is true. Uh, in my Bible, the heading over this part of the Bible says, you know, two kinds of wisdom. Ultimately, there is what is true, what is wise, and what is not wise. There's wisdom and not wisdom. <laughs> There's not kind of many different kinds of wisdom. It's pure, it's true, there's nothing added. Some of you are uncomfortable with certain things that the Bible teaches. You like lots of it, but in certain categories, you edit. You bring your own experience or the experience of others to God's truth, but don't let it inform you. You try to inform it. You might be well-meaning, but you are using earthly wisdom and you've added or you've taken away from God's truth. What you have is impure, not genuine, and ultimately a lie, again, that will crush you or someone else. Deeds done in humility. I have been meditating on the idea of humility for the last few years. Uh, I, again, one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, he was talking about the idea that in the cross, we are shown two things. One, that we are sinful, and it's way worse than we thought. But also, we are loved, and it's way greater than we could have imagined. Those two things, that we are liberated somehow from pride, believing that we are not as sinful as we are, or that other people are sinners, or sin worse than us, and we're better than them. We are freed from that pride, but we are also... Um, brought into this um, 
uh, love and we don't, um, we're not fearful of God or other people because we are liberated. And somehow the liberation seems to put you into what I think is humility. And these deeds done in humility come from wisdom. Wisdom leads to this humility. It leads to good life, to good deeds, and that leads to this beautiful life. Heavenly wisdom leads to humility-empowered deeds. Fear is a remarkable, motiva- a remarkable motivator. Um, some wildlife, if they are chased by a vehicle or something, will run until they die. Full out, flat out, they will keep going. Most of you, even if you haven't run in a decade or so, if you are scared enough, you will. <laughs> you will run. Fear can be a powerful motivator. Ego is also a powerful motivator. It drives people to do all kinds of things in this world. But if you want to accomplish an impossible task, even if you, if you want to live a remarkable life marked by the impossible, you will need the power of humility. When Christ came to accomplish the most powerful act in history, even maybe more uh, powerful than creation itself, when he came, he came in humility. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Until you are liberated both from your sin and from your self-righteousness, you won't be able to tap into the power of humility. Uh, Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When you're living a beautiful life, you will bring people together. You'll become a peacemaker for people who otherwise might live at war with each other. When you are living a beautiful life, when you are living out of the gospel, you become that bread that is given for the life of the world. We're going to continue on here just uh, to the close of our service. I'll invite the worship team to come back. Um, How do you start with heavenly wisdom? Uh, Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5 says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Why is fear the beginning? There's encounters with God all throughout the Bible. Whether it comes through some kind of messenger, an angel or something, they show up. And they always start with an opening line. Do anybody know what it is? 
fear not. Do you know why they have to say that? Because when you have an encounter with God, that is very likely the first thing that you will feel. Wisdom comes to those who are experiencing God, to those who understand the fear of the Lord. See, they've tasted him. They were in the cleft of a mountain as he passed by. They saw a burning bush or a blinding light. A vision overtook them as they fell to their knees, and there was wisdom and humility and impossible deeds that followed afterwards. Perhaps you've never had an encounter with God. I can't create that for you. We regularly invite the power and presence of God to dwell in this place as we gather to worship. And many of you do experience him. But if you haven't, I can't force it on you. And God won't either. He offers his invitation to you. He loves you. He wants you to experience him. But it's now up to you. Again, uh, Proverbs 2 My son, if you accept my words, you put those commands in, I just would say, read the word, study the Bible, continue to learn and grow. Turn your ear to wisdom. Be listening for it. Tune in. Apply your heart. Sometimes people with great intelligence will not apply their heart, and so they will not experience God. And they say it is their intelligence that is, you know, keeps them from God but it is not, it is their heart. If you call out, ask for help. (laughs) Cry aloud, it might be a desperate cry. Look for it because it's valuable as silver. Search for it as if it is hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. God does meet people. People do have an encounter with him. Maybe you are here and you are at that place And we would love to be able to talk with you and pray with you. We will have people available at the end of the service here uh, to pray for you. But as we close, uh, let me pray for us. We're going to have one more song. uh, And let me just encourage you with this. Most people who encounter God now will not be in the side of a mountain as he passes by. Or see a burning bush. Or be riding on a horse and be thrown down because there is such a blinding light. Those are a number of characters from the Bible. But most people will have an encounter with God at the cross. If you see him there, if you see God's love poured out for for us, if you understand the weight of sin that took death to atone for, if you see the son willingly giving his life for us, if we meditate on that, if we have that before us as our starting place, then we'll begin to step in and walk into that heavenly wisdom which will lead to that beautiful life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, I just surrender my own heart and on behalf of these people to you. Would you reveal yourself in your good time to those who are searching for you? Help them to have the courage to actually search. Help them to be honest, not to boast and not to deny, but instead to enter humility so that they can understand their place in the world and among those uh, who are here and also your place as Lord and Savior. In your name we pray, amen.